Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Lone Oster Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and a very special guest, a Orlando native, a graduate of the University of Central Florida. He is the host of the Be Extraordinary Podcast. He is the young in urban young insurance. He is the one, the only Brett Young. Brett, welcome the Lone Officer Podcast. Thanks for having me. I love that little intro, 18 plus. It, 18 plus. It really sets the stage of uh, of the conversation. It's perfect. Yeah, well, you know what? We never know what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. We try to keep it positive. We try to be educational. We also try to be entertaining. And um, although we have some editing software, editing takes a lot of time. Yeah, who does that? Yeah. So we, we try not to have to edit too much. Um, and we talk about topics that are 18 plus, you know, like budgeting, like career advice, like buying a house, like financing a house, like tips for entrepreneurs and sales people alike. There you go. You know, things that adults would talk about. Now, if your 15 year old or 16 year old is one of those, um, you know, older, wiser, young adults, then by all means, you can sign off and allow them to tune in. There you go. My, my son is eight, and I've been trying to get him into the stock market. And he looks at me, and he's like, Dad, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm like, well, son, we're going to buy some companies. He yeah. still is looking at me like I'm nuts. So all he sees is charts and graphs. But maybe maybe you know, maybe I need to get him to listen to some uh, the Loan Officer podcast. Some, some T-Lop. Maybe start him with Pokemon cards there. and baseball cards. True story. <laughs> like... Like I look oh, back, trading. Yes, yeah, yeah. I look back on my life. I started trading baseball cards or purchasing baseball cards That's in 1987. True. That's true. Well, in 1987, I was roughly uh, eight or nine years old, depending on what part of the year it was. I turned nine that year. I was eight for most of it. My birthday's in November. Do the math. Um, and once I found out that a baseball card had a value. And then I found out there was a book or a, a magazine published every single month called The Beckett. The Beckett. Man. Yes. And then that got me very interested. I learned buying, selling, trading, negotiating all through baseball cards. That's a great point because we did it with basketball cards. And you're right. I mean, just the excitement of opening the pack, but also like the value of understanding the trading. You know that? I'm going to take you up on that. That David Robinson rookie card. Oh, God. That David Robinson rookie card. In fact, it was Tops, I think, that, that had the the uh, basketball cards. Yep. And their, um, their uh, has a plastic casing or whatever it was, packaging. Mm -hmm. And it was almost see-through. So you could go hold in. Hold it up to the light. Yes, hold it up to the light and see if the first card was, was going to be whether the David Robinson rookie or not. And then you would know to buy that pack. And that was fun. I still I remember, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, we've still got those baseball cards. And you have the ones that you put in the case. You yes. Know, the, your good ones. I remember going through my folks' attic and I found the old basketball court cards. But I'd love to look those up and see how much those are worth today. Do it with your son. That's what you and your eight-year-old could do. And, and then eventually that would lead them to, to stocks. There you go. That's, um, actually, that's a great idea. Yeah, I bought my 17-year-old. I, I gave him for Christmas when he was like 15 or 16. Uh, I gave him a, a TD Ameritrade account with 500 bucks in it. Like that was his Christmas present. That's fun. And then I bought him a book. The book was never once cracked. And it was a book that I found on Amazon for like, you know, investing for, for youth type thing. Right. But what I liked about it, what I learned as a parent is I gave him the money. I helped him make his first two purchases. And then after that, he went and squandered the money that was in the account, doing stupid buying, stupid selling, just, but I had to overcome my own emotion, which right. was don't get involved. He's going to learn by doing, he's going to get excited about it by when, when dad's not involved. You know, that's such a, that's such a good, that's a wise lesson right there. Yeah, because you're you're trying to teach a lesson. Yes, he doesn't have to make money with the five hundred bucks to get the lesson across. Correct, a hundred percent. Yeah, he he learned a valuable lesson when he bought. True story, bought U.S. oil in January or February of 2020, huh? and then he freaked out and sold it in April of 2020. And then we look at what the value of that stock would be just in you know March of 2022. Does he does he know that now? Oh, he, oh correct. Yeah, as a 17 year old, he he's old enough. And most of his brain is developed, but I mean, not the entire brain, but most of it's developed at this age. And and he's able to conceptualize, oh, I freaked out. I messed up. Okay. Yeah, I freaked out. So as a parent, I had I had to learn that the lessons and the excitement wasn't in turning five hundred dollars into right. seven hundred or a thousand. 
it was the $500 was almost a throwaway right. for him to just understand how this all works. That's so cool. But for your son, I would say start with baseball cards. Um, hey, you and I have, have done a podcast before, right? I've been a guest on the Be Extraordinary podcast. Yes, sir. Um, but one of my hopes today all revolves around the premise of the Loan Officer podcast isn't necessary to speak to loan officers. It's to speak to anybody who is at a place in their life where they want to learn things that weren't taught to them in high school. Usually it's things around budgeting, usually things around entrepreneurship or sales or um, personal finance and wealth creation, career advice. And one of our top episodes that is on YouTube, which by the way, YouTube channel finally hit 10,000 subscribers. Wow. We hit the big 10 K. So you. thank you everybody who has gone on YouTube and, and, and watches us on YouTube. Um, if you're not into watching podcasts, you're into listening podcasts, no worries. Spotify has you covered. Apple podcast has you covered Stitcher, Google play. Just make sure when you're there, you're subscribing, you're giving a thumbs up, you're giving a five-star review, and more importantly, you are sharing the content, especially if you like it. That's amazing. But yeah, but hitting 10K on YouTube was like a, a goal we had. Once I found out, like my son told me it was like a thing. Yeah, you get like um, a plaque. No, you don't get a plaque until you do 100K. Well, then we got a goal here, but can we like flash, flash like 10,000 up on the screen for all yeah. the YouTube subscribers? I mean, that's impressive. Yes, man. no, it, it really is. Um, because from what I hear, it's like now you'll show up in more searches because you have 10,000. Right. But poor JC, he knows because I wouldn't leave him alone. I wanted 10K, I wanted 10K, I wanted 10K. <laughs> now it's going to be 30K. Like the <laughs> next number is 30. I don't know why some people say 25 or 50. I got stuck on 30. That's a great number. So then maybe once we hit 30, it'll go to 50. Once we hit 50, it'll go to 100. I will constantly move the needle. I'll yep. constantly. You get 24 hours to celebrate a win. Yeah. 24 I hours. I like that. And then, you know. It's back to the game. Yeah, I like that. So um, back on what I was trying to get at when I got off on this tangent about hitting 10K on YouTube is the number one performing episode that we did is episode 41. I think this is episode 241 that we're doing or 240-something that you and I are doing today, Brett. And it's so you want to be a loan officer. Mm. That's so you want it. So I went down this path of, well, let's do some more so you want us. We, we've done So You Want to Be a Commercial Lender. It hasn't been released yet because it has to go through compliance review. The guest that we had on, his company has this crazy compliance thing. Right. I want to do So You Want to Be a Life Insurance Salesperson. So You Want to Be a Commercial Realtor. So You Want to Be a Residential Lender or, or a Residential Realtor. With you, let's do So You Want to Be an Insurance Agent. I love it. Right, and, and let's talk about your story and what I would like to be able to pick your brain on. And for those that haven't been introduced to Brett before, Brett is also a, another leader that I look up to. Like when I'm looking at how I lead my teams, I try to find people who are in similar fields, not necessarily the same exact field, but that are doing something that I want to do, right? Iron sharpens iron. And Brett is somebody that I enjoy following. I like having a friendship with because we speak the same language and we're both out trying to do the same thing. So along the way, Brett, I'm going to ask you to feel free to weave in life lessons, weave in um, leadership lessons, or, or weave in even your leadership philosophies, because there's going to be some nuggets and some tie downs that we all can, can take with us from consuming this episode. But first and foremost, I want to ask you, you graduated UCF, go Knights. Go Knights. Did you know that you wanted to go into insurance, that you wanted to be an insurance agent? Was that something that you knew from age 18, 19, 22, or is it something you kind of fell into? What was your journey like? How did you become an um, insurance agent? Yeah, good question. Well, there's, there's kind of a, an inside joke inside this business in general that nobody uh, ever wanted to, decided that they wanted to be an insurance agent. It kind of just finds you. Um, my story is a little different. I, I was I was much more of an entrepreneur than I was an you know an insurance person, um, and I was doing a lot of different things in college. I did stuff before that. I had a bunch of different businesses, and it was just always something where I was uh, I was trying to figure out how not to work. Okay. <laughs> so my parents would always make a joke that I would figure out a way to not work, but but what I realized is that I just liked creating. You know, I liked. Uh, that was my calling, I guess, if you will, um, and through that in uh, college, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do because everything was just so in the box and I was very much out of the box. And my dad gave me some really good advice. It was probably one of the best pieces of advice that 
anybody's ever given me and said, hey, look, I just don't know what I want to do. You know, here I am, you know, four years into this thing. You've, I've had all this invested and, you know, I'm about to get out into the big bad world and I have, I don't have a clue. I just have all these gigs that I'm doing that I'm creating what, all these different what, things. What type of gigs were you doing? I had an eBay business. Okay. I was running a card game. I had uh, a lawn business. I had, you know, just, I had do just different things. You were hustling. Here, yeah. Just yeah. different things here and there. And, um, you know, just a card game like like Texas Hold'em poker. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. That was in college. Those were fun times. So, I bet. Um, but uh, so so he told me he said, look, go go find eight people uh, in an industry, totally separate industries that are very successful, and then go sit down with them and ask them if they would give you an hour of their time, and ask them about their job. But more importantly, ask them what their day looks like. Because the advice he gave me was that most of us think about what we want to do for a living, but we don't think about what the day looks like every single day because that's the grind, right? Like yes. that's the daily day. You know, it's, it's fun to say you want to work on rocket ships, but, you know, if you don't like to be in space or if you don't like to, to, to you know, actually be tinkering with things, you know, that's going to be a problem. But so that was really good advice. I sat down with eight different people in completely different industries, and one of those people happened to be in the insurance space. Um, and that person uh, just exited the insurance business. He did had a very successful career. He's been a mentor for a very long time, and he spent like two and a half hours with me. I just called him up. I, I told him who I was. We had a mutual connection, uh, and he just he poured into me, and he told me everything there was to know about the insurance business. Um, and at the time, uh, throughout that process, one of those uh, one of those entrepreneurial things that I was doing is I was in the network marketing space for an insurance product. Um, it was a legal plan product. Some people may know what it was. And I had built a pretty sizable business doing that. Um, and then I had gotten into the employee benefit space. So I was doing, you know, thousand person groups, hundred person groups, and I uh, was doing well doing that. Um, well, this was all while you're still in college, like in like college. you're in your senior year. Yes. You're, all these various side hustles, one of your side hustles. One of my side hustles was that. Yep. And um, I, I fell in love with it just because I learned a lot about business and I learned a lot of the leadership philosophies that uh, we run Urban Young on today. But so there was two tracks. There was the team building side and then there was the, the employee benefit side I was doing. So I had understood a little bit about the insurance space um, and through my experience of hands-on and then through his mentorship of what the property and casualty space looked like, I realized real quick that this is where I wanted to be. A um, couple, couple things that were the reason for that. Number one, uh, I had a mentor who, not that particular gentleman, but uh, a mentor that during that time said, I would never do anything if I don't have leveraged income or residual income. Leveraged income is you know income that comes from something that you don't do um, directly. Two, residual income, I do something one time, I get paid for it over and over and over again. And that really hit home with me just for the sense of uh, having freedom because I was, when I was doing all this entrepreneurial things, the reason I did all this because I wanted freedom. I mm -hmm. wanted to work when I wanted to work. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Um, and I wanted to have the autonomy and space to be able to do that. So, and when I realized is that it wasn't that I didn't want to work, it was just that I, I liked those things. And when I was in that space, I would work harder than anybody else. But if I was in the box, it was just a little tough for me because I just didn't thrive in that. So. But those two components are what drove me to be in the insurance space. And then uh, I built that business for a little bit uh, while I was getting out of college for about a year. And then I ran into a situation where I was just, I felt like I was kind of a, I won't use another industry or a term, but I, I, I was tr meeting people on their lunch breaks every two days. And I was waiting, you know, I'd do a presentation for an employee benefit. Then I would go, you know, sit down with Jerry or wait for Jerry to get done with lunch. And I would be driving an hour and a half. I'd sit, you know, I'd come in there and, and he's not there, you know, or I'd sit with one person or two person, two, two people. And it, and it just, I'm so sorry. When you say employee benefits, like I think Aflac, it was like an Aflac. Okay. Product. Okay. Aflac and I would be in the same space. Okay. Right? We'd, it, almost identical. And you were doing that towards the end of college. Yes. I was, but, but did you have to have your insurance license to do that? Or did at some point you went and on your own obtained your insurance license? Yeah. So it was a specific, it was a specific, uh, insurance license for that. Okay. But it wasn't the property and casualty. Okay. So, so I did that for a while and I just, I felt like I was driving around and if, bottom line is I had to push that product into the marketplace. They didn't know what it was. I had to educate somebody. I had to, and I don't want to use the word convince, but I had to really share with them 
what the value would be because they'd never heard of it before. Yeah, no one woke up that day saying, I want that product. Absolutely. Okay. And it was a low price point. So for those two reasons, I felt like, you know, this is the space I want to be in, but I don't feel like this was the right niche. Um, and when I met with that other gentleman who met with me about property and casualty, I realized that the price point was much higher. Every single person needs it and wants it and actually buys it. You don't have to sell it. Um, and, you know, it was one something where, where instead of pushing it into the marketplace, I could pull people through to a brand, meaning I could be in one place and I could have multiple people calling me for the product instead of me going out into the marketplace and pushing it. So for those reasons, the property and casualty space kind of checked all the boxes for me, and that's kind of how we got started. And by property and casualty, for those tuned in, it's auto insurance, it's homeowner's insurance, yeah. more so than life insurance or m more so than health insurance. Yep. Yeah. Any, any type of stuff that you insure, uh, any physical property that you insure, whether that's commercial or personal. Uh, and then also from a casualty perspective, your legal liability in the event that somebody is hurt. That yeah. could be an auto, that could be at a commercial building, that could be at your own personal home, uh, could be an event, anything where there is legal liability, we protect against that. I mean, for me, it's every reason why I found selling mortgage not a sales job mm. because I'm not convincing anybody right. to go into debt for 30 years. Right. There, I mean, there's no convincing. Right. Someone woke up and decided they want to become a homeowner. Right. And luckily for me, only 20% have the ability to pay cash or are willing to pay cash. There you go. So that meant 80% of homeowners need my product. Yep. So I don't have to sell them the product. Right. I, ha I got to be an advisor. I got to sell them on why me, yep. why should you use me? But, and I would think property and casualty is a lot like that. You don't have to convince me someone who owns a car or owns a home or owns a business or has assets that I don't want to have, that I need to protect, okay. that I need your product. Well, and you, you know, I'm, I'm envious a little bit of your business where in the sense of you're helping somebody with their dream home, right? And, and it's, it's exciting, right? You're giving people money. You know, yeah. sometimes obviously in our business, you know, some of the challenges are someone says they have to have insurance, you know, but you don't have to have insurance you get to have insurance meaning the only reason the mortgage business works is because it is backed by an insurance product right mm -hmm. if you're going to borrow a significant amount of money that's not yours and build a house that you didn't come up with the cash somebody needs to protect that investment and because you have access to an insurance product is the only reason that you get the opportunity to afford a house that technically you can't afford in cash right so the whole this whole fractional capitalistic you know monetary system that we're in is really held up by the you know first world component of having insurance in place so that's one of the things i love about what we do is that sometimes obviously people think well i have to have this and i think well what's the alternative yeah the alternative is you don't have to have it at all it's a blessing it is a gift that we live in a society where i can buy a product that lets me transfer the risk to somebody else in order to create more of something that I don't necessarily have right now. I have never heard it explained that way. Mind blown for one, but I love it because my brain went, you're talking homes, but I'm talking cars. How many people are driving around in their 30, 40, $50,000 car that the only way that they were able to obtain financing right. to purchase said car because they didn't have 30, 40 or 50 grand laying around was because there's auto insurance mm. and that banker lender is willing to lend you the money as long as you keep the car insured. As long as you transfer the risk, as long as they protect the asset, right? Like my dad, another great piece of advice that my dad gave me, my dad's a financial advisor and uh, we literally grew up with this stuff ingrained in our head, but he said, whatever you can't afford to pay for in cash, you must insure. It's just a principle. It's just a law, right? Like, so if I am, whatever I can't afford to pay for in cash, I'm not insuring, then I'm gambling. Right. I'm risking more than I can bear. And I feel like what we do every day is we allow people to come into this zone of education to say, hey, look, let us let us let us help you grow. Part of a good growth strategy for your own financial wealth is making sure that you don't have a leaking boat. And that's what we do every day is we make sure that we, you know, are looking around the corner to make sure there's no surprises because all of us like to get the loan. All of us like to get the house. All of us want the nice car. But, 
you know, when we wreck it or when it burns to the ground, you know, do we have the adequate protection to be able to put us in a situation? People don't realize what that would do to your life if it did occur. And that's not always fun to think about, but it's extremely imperative. I mean, if you talk to anybody from a financial standpoint, especially the stuff that you talk to, risk is the biggest thing, it's the biggest component, diversification, all the different things that we talk about, about building wealth. It has to do with making sure that you know what surprises are coming and you mitigate against them. Uh, you just used my favorite word, mitigate. Like so many things in life, how do I mitigate my risk? Mm. It's everything from how I book travel yeah. to how I make a, a purchase decision, um, how I make a parenting decision. Yeah. All revolves around how do I mitigate my risk? How do I hedge um, off of this, right? A, a hedge is putting an opposite trade against the, the action you're getting ready to take. You um, you know, I mentioned this when we kicked off the show that this, this show really is everything you should have learned in high school, but didn't mm. your dad's advice, that stuff I wish was taught in high school, but it's not, yeah. which if, if I'm going to paraphrase it and I'm going to ask you to probably repeat it, but he basically said, if you can't afford to pay cash, you must insure. Yeah. Right. Like, Whatever is, you cannot afford to pay for what, in cash, yes, you must insure. You you must you must insure. Yeah. You're and you're insuring against loss. You're insuring against risk. Yep. And insurance might not always be in life uh, a policy that you pay for, right? It could be in 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 an action that you take to counterbalance the 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 the, the other side of the trade, so to speak. Sure. Um, so let's let's jump into this because my industry, the mortgage industry. Um, is a phenomenal industry. I love it. It has been more than amazing to me, to my family, and probably to my my future family in terms of generational wealth. Mm. Things I've been able to accomplish financially in Talk this industry. Me. Love that. But but like most industries, we're cyclical. We we have our ebbs, our flows, our ups, our downs, our booms, and our bust. Mm. In our industry, in two thousand and eight. It, it was, we're going through one of those growth moments, right. 2009 going into 2020, it was, we're, we're supposed to have a little bit of a purge, a little bit of a, a changing of the guard, so to speak. But then this thing called COVID happened and then the federal reserve stepped in and then this thing called stimulus happened. And next thing you know it, we're in this housing boom with record low interest rates and everything's just, you know, jackpot, casino lights, flashing bells and whistles, and everyone's having a good time. So the purge that started in, in 2018 and it was supposed to finish in 2020 never happened. Right. So now we're going through that purge and it's going to be rougher. It's going to be worse. Um, and good. Yes. Good. Good. The same way a forest fire is good. I won't back down from that. It is needed. But what's sad is that a third of mortgage professionals that were employed on January 1st of 2022, won't be around January of 2023, right? So we're going to go through this purge yeah. and, and now some people will, will retire. Some people will realize, you know what, this is my calling. This is my sign that this industry wasn't for me, but then there's going to be a solid amount of people who are displaced that either need to find a home with a company like the one that I get to represent every single day. And I've represented for the past 14 years, or they may find shelter in a like industry mm -hmm. such as property and casualty insurance. Sure. Um, I remember going through that thought process in 2008 myself. Isn't that right? funny, right? That's the growth. You just talked about it being a growth. And I was going to ask, you don't know that you're in the growth. No, you thought you were in the, you thought you were in the trenches, right? You were right. But I remember being that 2008, I was like, this, this isn't the growth time. But then you look back and go, oh, that was the growth. That, that time. was, oh, I've been preaching to anyone who's willing to, to, to listen. This is the best growth opportunity that we have seen in over a decade in our industry, but the growth isn't necessarily all about acquisition of new branches of acquisition of new referral sources. The growth is also an internal growth. Oh, man. It's also a, 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 a realization or a wake up call that maybe you're not as good as you need to be, but no, but what I want to talk about and pick your brain about is if somebody wanted to transition from a career in lending into a career in property casualty, what does that look like? What are some attributes some personality traits? That, that, that you're looking for. What does a day in a life of sure. look like? Or so, so much of our audience, they're still 19 or 21 or 25 years of age. They're still finding their way in life and they're still looking for their big career opportunity. Yep. If they're going to consider a career in, in insurance, how would you, how, what advice would you give them? Where do they start? What, what does their day look like? 
what's required in terms of either education and or personality traits? Well, let's unpack that. That's a lot of questions, but I love that. Um, well, I'll give you my I'll give you my experience through that, and I'll tell you what worked really well and what didn't work really well. And if I was to do it all over again, how I would do it. Um, I, I, I got in the property and casualties business by getting on Craigslist. Okay, so entrepreneurial guy was building a business, said I want to get the PNC side. I literally went to Craigslist, found a bunch of places, got a commission only job, moved to Celebration with my new wife, and we started off to the races. Right? Didn't know. Anything. Is she now your old wife? She's my she's my she's my newer ist wife. How about that? <laughs> My she's my first wife. How about that? <laughs> and hopefully only. Yeah. Um, and but we had just been married. Yeah. And, you know, so she was supporting us at the time. And I was like, all right, let's go. I'm, I'm used to starting at zero. Let's start at zero. Um, so I didn't have a clue on PNC. I didn't have any background. I didn't have any education. Um, so my first thought is you don't really need a lot of education. You just need to get around the right people. Um, but so I went and did that. I did that for a year and a half. Um, and then after that, we started Urban Young. Um, had some differences and, and philosophy that didn't line up. And it just created a, a really unique opportunity to uh, start the business with Rod Herb and Taylor Young, my two business partners. Um, was T.Y. there from, from the beginning? From the beginning. I, okay. re I recruited him with a, with, a, with a Chipotle lunch while he had a bad internship at UCF. So it was perfect. You know, he was, he was ripe for the picking. Um, but yeah, he was there from the beginning. We needed a point guard. Yeah. And he's a point guard. And he does an incredible job with just operations and discipline. And he's still to this day, he's he's fantastic at it. So it was a really good mix. What um but like so is a four year degree required for someone to to get into property and casualty insurance? That's what I was gonna tell you. No, absolutely not. Um, no, what's required is grit. You know, the biggest the biggest component in our business is grit. And because our business is very different than a lot of different industries, right? It, it is a it is a compounding business. It's the dichotomy of insurance. It's the great thing and the tough thing. The beautiful thing, I, I can't tell you, Dustin, how many people I meet in different industries. And every time they, I meet them and I say, hey, I'm in the insurance business, they, they say, oh, if I had to do it all over again, I would have been in the insurance business. And I think to myself, no, you wouldn't. You would have done it. I know why you didn't do it, because you have to start from zero and you have to build it over years, right? This takes years to build. That's the thing about the insurance business. You have this residual effect of compounding growth that happens that once you build it, you have this annuity that pays you indefinitely, right? But that doesn't come without a significant, you know, it doesn't come without a price. So the biggest thing in our business is understand this is a long-term business. This is not a short-term business. If you're getting into the insurance business to make a good income, you're in the wrong business because you have to start from the start and you got to work your way up. So, you know, so be prepared to starve, be prepared to go through some t challenging times. Here's, here's the, the biggest challenge I see in the insurance business. Two people start. One gets in the insurance business. The other one goes into a different industry. They're buddies. And they run for two years. And the other one that's in the insurance business is looking over on the other one. And they're, they're watching somebody else run their race. And they're looking at what they're making, how they're doing. And they think that they're so much farther ahead than them. And they think, is this worth it? You know, I don't really understand. I, I have a hard time looking past next year, the next year. And so they lose track of their own race. And in the insurance business, you have to run your own race because what will end up happening is five years, 10 years down the road, you can do significant, you, you can blow past that person if you really have the grit and you're still running at the same pace. You're not having to run just as fast for that same, for that same reward at the end of the deal. So um, the, the biggest thing is I would say, understand that this is not, in my opinion, insurance, people say, well, you give it three years. Any career, give it three mm -hmm. years. In my opinion, that doesn't work in the insurance business. No. I think you need to give it five years. Wow. And that's a tough commitment, but that's just being real because go go talk to as many people as you can different in different places with different agencies, with different producers and different spaces to make sure it's the right industry for you. But when you decide to do it, if it's for the right reasons, you need five good years. And if you give it five good years, life just doesn't look the same. Um, how, how long and how hard is it to become licensed to sell It's insurance? very easy. You can go work for an, an agency. Like the way we hire, we hire people that are unlicensed. We give them unlicensed activities, and then we get them licensed. Okay. And it's, uh, there are certain steps to this. Um, and the license that you can immediately get, uh, you know, within a month or two months of working there is very simple. It's a three-day course, uh, and then you take a test at the end of the course 
almost everybody passes and boom, your license, it's a customer service license. Um, it's a 440. Um, and then after that, if you uh, under, if you're under a 220, which is a general lines agency owner per se, um, uh, or outside sales license, if you work under that uh, particular agency or person for a year, you can sit for the 220 exam. And the 220 is where you can sling it outside of the office, you can open your own office, um, you really have full autonomy to do, you, you can, you know, obviously people can work under you. Okay. That's the license that you want in order to go to the highest level in our business. And it's usually, uh, see, remember that Craigslist ad that I did? I went and just got my, my 220. I didn't okay. know any better. I just said, screw it, let's go. And it took me, I, I failed it twice. I got like a 68 and a 67, you got to get a 70. And then the third time I took it, I got a 72. Because the 440 is easy. The 440 is easy. It's, it's, you know, you can, get, it's just a course. Yep. And the 220 is a beast. Okay. It's, it's no joke. I mean, it's a 200 hour course that you have to take. And then you sit for the license. Um, if, again, if you haven't been in the industry for a year. W would you recommend going to work under someone? Absolutely. First. Yeah. I, that's what I was going to say. I did. I don't like the way that I did it. Um, it was, uh, it just wasn't the, it, there's a lot of friction to that path, but it also led me to where I am today. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. But if I was going to give some advice, I would say, absolutely find somebody. There are so many good people in this industry that want apprenticeship. And there's so many people that are willing to pour into young people in this business. It is the best kept secret because insurance is not sexy. It's not this sexy job that you tell that, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm a brand new out of college and somebody's got a tech job and somebody's got this cool job and I decide I'm gonna get in the insurance business, somebody looks at you and goes, what? You're gonna get in the insurance business. But it's this, the, the, the biggest epidemic in our industry right now is young talent. And I'm fanatical about this, right? With Urban Young and what we do, we are, we, we are recruiters. We are culture team builder recruiters. And I mean, the median age is 30 in our office, which is completely not normal in our business. Um, because we are put such an emphasis on that. W the talent, the, the talent pull in our business is so lacking because they overvalue the knowledge of being good at insurance versus just the people skills and the opportunity to sell the dream and what's available in our business. And what's available in our business is like no other industry. Now you have to pay the price and it's a, it's a tall price, but it's so worth it, man. And, and the it's price, so if it. I understand it, the price is just your time for n not the most desirable pay because you're building something you're building something but i'm assuming i'm building something that once it's built you can't take it away from it's me it's very difficult you, you can be really bad and your retention is a huge number that we point out right but in our business when's the late moving insurance is painful nobody wants to do it right so if you're good if you're average you're going to do great if you're exceptional you're going to do really well but even if you're bad, there's there. I can't tell you how many insureds will move their business to us, and they say, "Yeah, I've been trying to do this for four or five years. It's just I, I haven't got around to it. I can't stand my agent." You know, it's because it's so painful to move it, mm -hmm. right? Like, so it's a very sticky business, which is great when you're in it because you know, obviously, we get paid off residual. Just to give the listeners at home, because some people don't understand this, in the property and casualty space, whatever you get paid the first year, you get the same the second year, the third year, the fourth year, and the fifth year. That's without any rate increases, right? And as we know, you know, just with inflation in general, you're going to have rate increases. So imagine all these other industries, maybe you're getting paid all up front for having the customer for three, four years, right? As a commission salesperson, you get one, you, you're getting paid one time. The reason why it takes so a while is because it's, it stacks on itself, right? I sell something, I sell, I sell a policy one time and I take care of a customer, they move their business. I get paid on that this year, but it's a small amount. But then the next year I get paid the same amount, right? I, I, I service that customer, I take care of that customer, I make sure I'm here for them, but I also have a team behind me that's helping. I have to put very minimal effort into that the second, third, or fourth year yeah. comparatively to the first. To, to, oh my goodness, And then on yes. the fifth year, I, maybe let's say over five years, I've had a 40% rate increase, right? I'm making 40% more the fifth year than I did the first year, and I'm putting in minimal effort. It doesn't mean they're not getting taken care of. I have an entire team to support what's needed but the amount of effort that goes into that is extremely minimal so you can imagine when you do that thousands and thousands of times yeah because you're adding new clients every week every month every quarter every year right but in year one those are your first clients right. but year two you have those first clients renewing 
and you're adding more. Year right. three, you have years one and two renewing, and you're adding more. Right. Which is why you say it takes about five years. It's interesting. I study my buddy Rob. My buddy Rob does 401k. Um, in fact, if Urban Young needs a good 401k, Rob could come in. You're about the right size company for him. Boom. And 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 he would get you all set up on a 401k. And in his industry, same exact. You know, he starved when he went out on his own. His first two years, three years. It was a kick to the gut. His yeah. income was cut in half. Yeah. But he realized as I add on new plans, those people are investing each money through through payroll. Yeah. And then that money hopefully is growing as the market grows. Yeah. And they're adding more money and I'm adding more plans and they're adding more money and then the market's going up and all of a sudden he turns around in year five, year six, and he was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Where is all this income coming from? That well, is a perfect it, example. It came from his yeah. five years of just straight up grinding. And obviously he is good as what he does. He takes care of his clients. He cares so because he cares, he explains and he teaches. Mm -hmm. And his clients continue to come back to him. His referral sources re continue to refer him. Yeah. What I love about property and couch and becoming an insurance agent, the barrier of entry for the most part is fairly low. Mm -hmm. um, you need to find a good company, a good person, a good mentor, a good leader to go work under. Yep. You yourself have to be a good person, mm -hmm. right? Um, give good service but you have to be willing to grind it out. You gotta grind. And then what does a day look like? Because not everyone is equipped with your entrepreneurial hustle, yep. right? With, with my entrepreneurial drive. Mm -hmm. And I think they need to understand what time am I getting to the office? Mm -hmm. What time am I leaving the office? When I'm in the office, what am I doing? And how many nights and weekends do you expect me to work? That's a great question. So there are two tracks um, and I want to specify because and I, you always project from your perspective, mm -hmm. right? So my perspective is I want to, I want to go to the top, right? I want the, the, the biggest earning opportunity I possibly can. I want the most freedom on the most autonomy, right? So in doing that in our business is a, is a commission only building a book of business. So it's starting from zero and it's building one by one. Yeah, you don't have to do that. Right. You can, there are like, for example, a lot of, a lot of the positions that we have in our office, we front load comp. So, I mean, from day one, we front load it. You don't have to worry about it. And there's just certain benchmarks that you have to go. If you work for a bigger firm, they have those tracks that allow you to come in and, you know, have steady wins the race. And it's not as, you know, quote unquote, tough as I'm making it out to be. So there's two tracks. But and there's also the service side of our business. If you love people and you love caring for people and you love taking care of people, making their day, you know, being that person that they just love calling and being someone, you know, uh, I, my, my favorite is my, my dad's a financial advisor and, you know, some of his clients don't even want to talk to him. They want to talk to, to Rachel. Yes. Right. Because she's so she's so sweet and she makes their day and she's their person. Right. And she loves that. Right. So I think about that in the insurance business. It's the exact same way. And there's an incredible opportunity for someone who wants to be an account manager or a customer service representative in our business. And that look, you don't work in every bank holiday. You're off. There is no, there is no weekends, um, you know, and it's a nine to five and there's flexibility. So a lot of our uh, customer service relationship management specialists is what we call them are, are working moms, right? So we did what's called four tens. So they only work four days a week and they work 10 hour shifts. And this was their decision, not okay. ours. They said, Hey, look, how can we enhance this position? And they realized that autonomy and flexibility was really their love language. So, um, on any bank holiday, on any national holiday, on weekends, they're off, and then they're only working four days a week, and, and they have flexibility to, to do that. So that's a really nice perk if you have a schedule that wants that type of flexibility. But then on the sales side, right, uh, on on the side that you're 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 really grinding is what I'm talking about. Because I'm guessing on the customer service side. The benefit is it's guaranteed income. Guaranteed. The downfall is it, there's a, a, a limit to that income. Correct. It's it is capped. There's a ceiling and it's the ceiling's much lower than someone who's in sales. Correct. Yes. So and you can make a great income and you can do really well on that side, um, but you're just not going to make the same as someone who's generating mm -hmm. the business. That's any in industry. Yes. Pretty, you know, pretty much so. But for, for somebody who is, is in the business of generating um, that that income or going out and creating the market is what I like to call it. Um, you know, there, there's there's an unlimited earning opportunity is literally unlimited. I mean, we're there are people right now writing accounts that are generating hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in commission just per each account on the commercial side. You just take a look anywhere. And here we are sitting on top of the sixth floor. You look out every single person in every single car with a heartbeat buys what we have. Every building, every sky rise, every single piece of property that you see stretched out 
as far as you can see, has insurance placement on it. Everything is financed. Everything is leveraged and therefore everything is insured. And when you start to realize that, I look at this business and I go, it truly is just unlimited. It's how much, how big of a net do you want to be able to create? What What does income look like year one, year three, year five for the average, right? We're always going to have the outliers. We're going to have those that absolutely crush it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I talk about in the mortgage industry, we had this guy, Mike Williams. Mike Williams came in and, and funded like, I don't know, 25 million in his first 12 months. Wow. Like that generates 250 to $300,000 in W2 income wow. in my industry, but that's not the norm. Right. Right. I tell someone who's going to be a rookie loan originator, you'll make 65 grand your first year, you'll double it in your second year, and you'll go up another 50% in your third year, assuming you wake up every day, put on your uniform, come to work, and kind of do as you're told. Yep. I don't care if you do it extremely well or you just do it average, but if you just do it, Yep. That's kind of what you're looking at. Yep. If I were to give that same advice to someone who is going to the in- insurance industry and they're like, look, I appreciate Brett, the opportunity to be a customer service rep. And I know that could be a good launching pe- spot for my career. Yep. I'm a little bit grittier than that. I'm a little bit more entrepreneurial than that. I want to go into it. I want to, I want to get my four, my 440 today. I want to try to get my, my 220 in the next five or six months. Yep. Um, what what would you advise me to expect income wise on average yep. for year one, year three, year five? Great question. Um, all right, so let's assume that you're working for a firm that is front loading comp, and you're not a hundred percent commission. Okay? okay, let's assume that. Now, by front loading comp, you're kind of giving me a, a base. I'm going to give you a base. Okay, I'm going to give you a bonus. Uh, you're Are pro- you giving me leads too? Probably going to give you some leads okay. for the beginning. Yep. And then you need to get weaned off and learn how to self-generate. If you can't self-generate in this business, you're in the wrong business. Say that opinion. again because it's very important. If you can't self-generate leads, you're in the wrong business. There are places for it. You can go to Geico. You can go to some call centers and you can be a call center guy or gal. But again, your income is going to be tapped because that's where the real value comes. Can you create something from nothing? Anybody in any industry doesn't matter what it is. If you can create something from nothing, you have unlimited income potential. So, but let's assume that someone's front-loading comp, they've given you a base, they're giving you a, a bonus, and you know, you're, you're taken care of. You have mm-hmm. benefits, right? You're a W-2 employee. You, you're not going to own your book of business. And we'll get into that. That's the best part about insurance is owning an asset, right? We're building balance sheet wealth. We're not just on our, we're not just going for, 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 from an income statement, we're working our balance sheet, and I'll get into that in a second. But let's assume that we're in this vertical. The first year, you can expect to make probably 50K. Okay. The second year, you can expect to make maybe 70. Okay. Um, third year, you're probably in the 80 ish range. And at five years, you're probably, I mean, you could be making $150,000 in that track. Um, but again, you're not going to own your book of business, but you're making a nice income. That's a very nice income, but she in probably the top one or 2% in the U.S., let alone what the world would look like. Um, what does my work day look like for your, that person? Yeah, your work day, look, you're, you're in there before the phones turn on. Okay, the, 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 the phone volume in, in, a, in a quality insurance agency is, is bananas. Okay. Like the phones just explode, right? If you're doing it right, they're just from an, it's a volume business, okay? So you have to, from a, from a standpoint of being uh, organized, you really need to be ready to go before the day starts because once the day starts, it'll run away with you. Um, it'll own you instead of you owning it. So you're there probably 30 minutes early. Uh, you're getting ready. Like 8.30 in the morning? Yeah, you're prepping. You're probably doing maybe a team huddle. You're getting your j- agenda for the day, stamp, you know, who you're going to contact, what your appointments are. Uh, if you have an assistant, you'll be working with that assistant to see what's on your schedule. And then you're running all the way up to lunch. You, you're going to leave probably for 30 minutes, 45 minutes for lunch. Uh, sometimes you're going to be on an appointment with, you know, maybe a loan officer who's a referral partner of yours. Uh, maybe you have a financial advisor that you work with that you're going to take out to lunch. Um, but then some days maybe you say, look, I, I'm, I'm slammed. I got I to gotta stay here and you're going to eat lunch at your desk. But after that, you're going to run till maybe five, six o'clock. Usually you'll run past the phones, which is five. So you can kind of catch up with whatever and tie off any loose ends. And then, and then you're done. That's Monday through Friday, and you just you're gonna run that back. You, I mean, it, we do have some people that'll stay in the office, you know, two three hours afterwards because they're just grinding. Um, but that's you know that's that's not mandatory. That's, so this is a typical day if you go to work for an operation like you all run at Urban Young, right? Which, by the way, if you're in a market where there is a Urban Young, 
Brett did not pay me to say this, but I would tell you, because I know Brett, I know Rod, I know TY, like I would go work for you all. Like if, if I was looking for a new career, like you, you run the type of company that I want to be a part of. Um, Thanks, so, man. so Appreciate that's that. a typical day there. But if I did that, I think you were going here and I want to segue into it. I don't own that book of business. Right. Right. So it, what if I wanted to own that book of business? Because maybe I am a T lopper. Maybe I tune in pretty frequently yeah. and maybe I've heard JC or DO say something along the lines of he or she who controls the lead controls the moolah. Right. They control the money. Something the balance sheet, as you just said. Yep. That's a great, uh, it, it, look, it, it, again, we're going to talk back to the risk conversation. If you, if you're walking into any type of operation to where you don't have the risk, and the company has the risk, the operator has the risk, there is going to be an exchange made. It's just you may not be aware of the exchange. And the exchange is that they're going to own the asset because they're fronting the money before it's there. Mm -hmm. They're creating something from nothing, not you. Very big distinction. But let's talk about my favorite part, which is the other, which is the the, the track of creating yeah. something from nothing, right? You're starting from zero and you're building a book of business, which is a commission only. Usually it, it's a split. So if there's a certain amount of agency, gross agency revenue, you usually have a split on the front end commission and the back end commission. Okay. So, uh, and that will depend on the firm. It'll depend on how big they are. It'll depend on how many leads that they bring in for you. It'll determine... Uh, the, the state of their business, where they're at. Sometimes they're in hyper growth mode, they're willing to pay more. Uh, sometimes they give more resources, so they're gonna pay you a lesser split. Um, maybe you pay for all of your stuff. For example, you pay for your CRM, you pay for to have somebody service your business. Your you, computer, your business cards, et cetera. Right, yep. and then you might work for a firm, they'll give you a lower split, but they take care of all that. It's, it, it's a mixed bag, right? So, But at the end of the day, you're gonna get a split. And so for every new piece of business you write, you make a certain percentage of the agency's uh, gross revenue. And then the residual uh, on that renewal business, you make a split. Um, sometimes they could be the same. Sometimes they could be heavier new business weighed versus on the renewal. It just depends. But I would guess if I go that route, I'm probably going to make not the 50K in year one. It depends, right? Yes, correct. In my opinion, I would never set the expectation that someone's going to make that type of money immediately. What, um, what expectation would you set? I, I, I'm a low guy because I started from... I, I'm not a fast, I, I'm not fast in this yeah. business. If somebody was to look at like, oh, how did, how did Brett do? They would be like, damn, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. But I promise they like, they would like the way it ended mm -hmm. up. But so I like to set really reasonable expectations, but man, for, for me that first year, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm setting the expectation someone's going to make 25 K. Cool. No, no, no. I think that's, that's good because you're, you're trading off, right? You're, you're mitigating or you're taking a higher risk. Yep. And what you're giving up is is you're making half the income, right? But you're doing so because the long term is that you can earn more and you can have ownership of that book of business and you can have ownership of those clients and those referral sources. But I would also guess if you go that route, your work day doesn't look like you just described. I'm guessing I'm going to be hammering out phone calls. I'm going to be at BNI networking groups and industry functions because I need to shake babies and kiss hands. 100%. That's what I was going to say is you're going to work harder for that 25K too. Yeah. It's not an even exchange because you're going to be outside the office and you're going to be banging on doors. And then when you get an opportunity, obviously then you've got to run back and work on those opportunities. So, you know, that from a daily standpoint, if you don't like to market, that's not a good that's not a good job for you. It's not a good place for you, right? The, 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 the elite insurance agents, just like the elite LOs, just like the elite at any business, they are marketers. They are just great at marketing. They love being in front of new people. They love their heart beating and they love to be in front of presentations. They love to, to, to influence and compel people and to persuade as to why they are the best in the business. They love when that first referral comes through the door that they've been trying to get for three, four months. Uh, they love knocking on a door and getting a bunch of no's with the idea that, oh, they don't even know it yet, but I'm going to get them to say yes, right? That type of attitude will put you as an outside producer. If that intimidates you and that doesn't fire you up, look, look, it scares everybody. Okay. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. If that, to say you wouldn't be nervous to, to make the phone, to make the phone bleed on your face a hundred times a day is not being realistic, right? It is, but it should excite you. You don't have to, you don't have to love knocking on doors. You have to be excited about what is behind the door. 
And if you can get excited about what's behind the door and that fires you up to make the next one, that's a great indicator that this is a good track for you. Yeah, right? it's, it is the, the pot of gold has to be worth the journey. It, 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 cause the journey isn't necessarily fun. It isn't necessarily easy, but the excitement yeah. of that pot of gold is, is something that's going to allow you to put your blinders on your head down and then just march one foot in front of the other, come hell or high water. It doesn't matter what gets in front of you. So it's, I, it's like fitness. Like, so I'm a, you know, we talk about this all the time. I know you're huge with, with, with the, what you do, but like, you don't necessarily enjoy the battle halfway through the run or the bike ride or when your body is under acute stress, right? You, you the, 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 the burn is something that you almost never get used to, but what you do get used to is you do enjoy how tough it is. Yes. And it's almost like this fight against yourself. It's like this battle against yourself. Like how much can I take here? And there's almost this you versus you mentality of like the harder it gets, good, right? Like the harder it gets, the, the more people, other people are gonna quit, right? And it's it's like what you talked about, like with this, you called it a cleansing, right? Like if if you are dominating in, in, the, in any industry, when that happens, it fires you up. It fires you up. If it doesn't fire you up to know that that's happening, you're probably in the wrong business. That is a valid point. It's like, it's, I would tell someone, you have to be a little bit off. In a good way, be a little bit off. Absolutely. I've never once ran a race where I'm like, gosh, that was fun. Right. Especially training for the race. At least race day is kind of fun. Sure. Right, race day, the, the adrenaline gets going, the music's pumping, your blood's pumping. But like training for a race, mm. never have I once ran three miles, five miles, or or. 12 miles and I was like, I enjoyed every minute of that. That was awesome. That's a, no, what I enjoyed is when I finished yes. how I felt. What yes. I enjoyed was knowing I did something today that so many others didn't. Yes. Right? I, I got personal satisfaction because it allowed me to feel better about myself because I accomplished something that maybe others weren't willing to. Weren't just, willing to. They weren't willing to do it. Um, so I think I know the answer to this question, but I gotta ask it. Would you recommend the insurance industry as a career to your cousin who's currently in college or to your buddy who's looking for a career change? Yeah. Or are you like, you know what, if you're not in the game, stay out of the game because uh, the game has come and gone and you've, you've missed your opportunity. Yeah, again, I'm biased, but in my opinion, um, and we have very similar industries, but I feel like we're in the best industry in the world. And I, and I just genuinely believe, because I see it every single day, there is such a lack of young talent in this industry that anyone who, you just come in and just be average and you're gonna do well. Because it's, there is just an aging out of, you know, an older generation of producers and operators in our business. And the amount of demand has only gone up. So it's, it, I think it's one of the most, I think it's one of the best kept secrets. I think it's one of the greatest opportunities for a young dynamic person who wants to get into an industry. But again, you have to be willing to, it's a staying power. The person who just has, who will stay on the treadmill longer than the other guy wins. It is just not an industry that you dip your toe into. Don't try it out, don't test it out. You're in the wrong place. But if you wanna get into a career where you have just unlimited earning potential and way more uh, opportunities than you could possibly process and handle, um, this is an and, and be challenged every single day. Uh, this is an incredible business. So yes, I would absolutely recommend. I recommend it all the time. It's it's an amazing industry to be in. You know, it's interesting. I'm sitting here listening to you talk, and you're answering the questions. The answer is yet. Yeah, it's not just yes. It's hell yes. Hell yes. If you are interested, this is a fantastic career. It's going to have longevity. Uh, it's probably one of the oldest professions, right? Besides probably religion, medicine, and prostitution, I would say insurance is probably going to be right up there as one of the top five oldest professions. The, the, the insurance industry, I, I heard this the other day, and I, I believe it has validity because I looked it up, but the insurance business has created more millionaires than any other industry in history. And one of the reasons is because it's so, it's the oldest, one of the oldest industries. Um, but, you know, that's just a, such a compelling uh, stat that, you know, things change and tech changes and 
everybody's been saying intermediaries are going to be replaced for the longest time. They're not. They're not. There will always be a place for human-to-human -human contact of purchasing something that's too complicated for somebody to make the decision on their own. So I 100% I, I, I agree with that, and it is a hell yes. Yeah, so, so it's a hell yes. We, we didn't get into this, but here's the thought, I, the thought I had when you were talking about, well, you know, it's a marathon and not a sprint, mm -hmm. right? We were, and I preach that and coach that. But what's interesting is I was having these thoughts of my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law has her dream job. Her dream job. She's a PE teacher at an elementary school. Do you think she got that dream job right out of college? No. She had to work in the classroom for 15 years. Wow. Because it's not easy to find the physical education, uh, you know, position available. Because mm. most schools, if they have a PE program, they have one or two coaches. Right? So it took her 15 years. So I could even say in education, it was a marathon and not a sprint. Right? I look at my buddy Rob. My buddy Rob at 43, almost 44, he has his dream career. But he didn't walk into it. He's 44 years old. He's been out of college for 20 years. And I do say 20 because he was one of those guys that was on the six or seven year track. I think he ended up with like 17 different degrees, all from UCF. So I'm I was very on happy the six with or that. seven degree. Were you? And I, and I didn't have multiple yeah. degrees. So it's all um, good. So, you know, it's interesting when you and I are like, oh, guys and girls, it's a marathon, not a sprint. How about this? It's normal. Like, don't just step out of the gate expecting to be great. Expect you to have to put in your time. But within five years, at that point, you could start to achieve greatness. So we didn't cover this, and, and we're kind of running long on time. But you did a great job of explaining that if I go out on my own and I build my own book of business, I'm not going to make 50K my first year. It's going to be 25K, and I'm going to have to work harder. But what does year three, year five, year seven look for that person? Yeah, I'm glad you came back to that because that's the most important part. Is you know, is the price is is, is the price worth the prize? And so, what's what's in it for me if I start from zero and I go slow like that? And then the biggest component of our business that's most attractive and why I speak with the very very successful people who say if I were to do it all over again I would have done insurance is because at the end of the rainbow, do you hold an asset or do you have an income? And in our business, if you go that track and if you do build that from brick by brick by brick, four, five, six, seven years from now, what you're holding is a residual income stream. And somebody's willing to pay a lot of money for that income stream. So producers that are working for agencies that they didn't start the shop, they didn't, they didn't hire anyone, they, they didn't get the carriers, they didn't put together the tech, they didn't do anything. All they did was go out, and not all they did, but that's the yes. biggest thing, right? Acquisition is mm -hmm. it, right? Marketing is it. They went out, compelled a customer to talk to them, converted them, took good care of them, and over-delivered on the promises that they made, and they did that over and over and over again. They own that asset, and they have a split with that office. So let's say, uh, let's say it's a three times revenue multiple which that's debatable now if it's like that with interest rates being that way, but that's what it was. So let's say, well, any, maybe in times even higher, but let's say it's a three times uh, gross revenue on that asset. So if you have a half a million dollar revenue producing book, which isn't a big book, and you're getting a split from that, whatever that split is. 50-50? Yeah, probably high, but yeah, there are some 50-50s. Okay, let's, let's, call it, let's call it 40-60. There you go. So a half, a half a million dollar book for my math majors, it's 200 grand in income. That's called so, 200 grand in income. That's okay. perfect. 200 grand in income, half million dollar book. That Which you book, said isn't isn't much. Like, it is not, could, no. Could, could I build that in three or five years? You could. Okay, so within three to five years, I could be making 200K. Yes. Okay, cool. Yes. That's, what I, that's what I needed to hear. The audience wanted to hear too. Absolutely. All so right. that's, it. that's half a million dollars. That's three times revenue. That book of business is worth 1.5 million, okay? Now, let's say you have an agreement with the agency where let's say you're, you're, you're giving a 40% split. Well, maybe you have an agreement where your portion of that is 700 grand, you know? And so the bottom line is not only are you making the $200,000 a year that obviously you have, and by the way, that's a residual, those two components, leveraged income and residual, you have one. But also now upon your exit, right, you can sell that book of business back to the agency and make a significant amount of money for retirement, right? And a lot of commission job only is like we have to build our wealth on the side through investment and doing yes. our own thing. But the beautiful thing about insurance is not only are you doing that 
you should be doing that in general, but also at the end of the rainbow, you have an asset that you can sell back to the company. And if you don't want to sell it back to the company and they don't want to buy it, you can sell it out to the open market. So that's a significant difference in our business that a, that a lot of uh, other industries don't have. And that's the track why I'm such a big component of it, because that's the that's the greatest weapon in our business, I think. No, that is fabulous. That is fantastic. That's every reason why I want to do today's episode, honestly. So let's do this as we conclude. Let's do some parting shots. Whether they're life lessons, leadership lessons, or just words of advice. what What is something, if I gave you three mm. minutes, I said, Brett, what are some of your best leadership lessons? What are some of your best life lessons? What's something that you wish was taught to you mm. while you were in high school but wasn't? Which is interesting because I've had the other young brother on this show yeah. uh, about, about, cool. about two years ago. The cooler one. Uh, the cooler one. Yeah. Um, and you know, I realized that, A, I was very envious that, that you, know, you, you all are very fortunate. And T.Y. said this, like your father supplemented Everything that you all weren't learning in in high school, he made sure that you you got that. Yeah, he did. Um, it also helps that your mom's an educator, so you you had an educator for yeah. uh, on both sides, super, right? Super mom, mom, more of the traditional educator, dad, more of the life lessons coming from a financial advisor's uh, perspective. So um, you know, maybe you're fortunate and you didn't really have those things. So that's why I'm going to say, like, ultimately, I like to ask most guests, what's one thing you wish you learned in high school but didn't? And let's share it with the audience. But if you don't have that, yeah. you are a phenomenal leader. And you've, you, you've done a lot with growing the Urban Young um, brand from currently one location up to four. I'm sure four is going to turn to six and six is going to turn to 12 at some point. And I, I watch and witness how your people look up to you and they, they, they gleefully follow you and follow your, your direction. Uh, so parting shots, what do you have for us? Number one, I'm super humbled by that. I appreciate that very much, especially coming from you, man. That's uh that makes me feel really good. So thank you. Um, one, my mom was, a, uh, my mom built a uh, Florida virtual school from yes. scratch. So she was a culture fanatic and I learned almost everything that I know about culture from her. So number one, teams that win together, hang out together is a philosophy that I learned. If you're going to grow any type of organization or, or, or grow a team, uh, the time that you spend with them is, is, uh, disproportionately more important than the money that you spend with them. Um, number two, uh, wealthy people build networks, everyone else looks for work. So if you want to, uh, if you want to create a large balance sheet, uh, it's about understanding giving value to other people. And what I mean by network is not how many people you know, it's about when they when somebody asks about you to somebody else, they immediately think that's a person of value. So I'm always asking myself, am I being a person of value to the people that I know, right? And, and, and if you can crack that code on a continuous basis, inherently, good things just happen. Opportunities find you instead of you having to find them. Um, and then lastly, man, uh, you know, the three pillars are, are what, uh, the three pillars of success are what we teach at Urban Young. And they were taught to uh, myself and my two business partners uh, coming through the ranks. And uh, they, we, I just fundamentally believe they are the three pillars of a stool that make up success, and that is one, showing up. You have to show up, and you have to show up consistently over a long period of time in order to win at anything. You, if you don't show up and you're not early and you don't stay late, it's just difficult to win. You know, you're not going to learn what you need to learn. Number two is activity. You've got to do the thing, right? You've got to swing the axe. You've got to mix it up. It's just it, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're doing the activity right. It means that you've got to get into the activity because over time you'll get sick and tired of doing it wrong and then you'll learn how to do it right. And then third is personal development. I think this is the least emphasized in business culture today. And we just when we walked in here, you hand me a book. That's why we connect so well, right? Like, so you're in the practice of becoming better. And I think so many professionals work on their profession, especially in the insurance business. People are, they just, they love to tell you how good of an insurance professional they are. In my opinion, save it. it it's all the same. They're transferable skills to every single industry. If you work harder on yourself than you do on your profession, you will continually have progress, right? So I can determine the size of my paycheck by the, by, the, by the size of the problems that I'm able to solve, right? That's how business works. And through the practice of personal development, of working on myself and becoming better, podcasts like what you put out, books, seminars, shows, all these different things where you're surrounded by good content, rich information that's gonna you know, make you better, it just inherently helps you just dynamically blow past your competition with business. So. If I had to three, that would probably be my three. 
Bro, you crushed that. You absolutely crushed that as if I had like prepped you for it. Um, thank you for that. Like that was, I mean, I was enthralled listening. Thanks, man. Uh, Brett, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, man. Uh, www.urbanyoung.com. That's E-R-B-A-N-D-Y-O-U-N-G. Um, we're on all the socials. Hit me up on the gram, LinkedIn, big on there. Um, you know, Taylor Young is the cooler brother. Rod Herb is my uh, my brother from older, another mother. Older, wiser He's partner. Wiser one. Yeah, but um, we're on all the socials. Um, I'd love to connect with you. I mean, social media is such a cool, powerful tool to get to meet everybody. But um, yeah, give, give us a shout and we're, we're here. We're here that, mixing it up. That is fantastic. I tell people the same thing. I'm like, look, we're on every social handle not known as Pinterest. That means Instagram. <laughs> that means TikTok. That means Facebook. And it means LinkedIn. LinkedIn is by far the best way to reach reach out to me. I'm yeah. very open. I'm very communicative. Uh, look up Dustin Owen. And even the Loan Officer Podcast has its own LinkedIn page. So you can even connect with, with TLOP on there. We have a website, TLOPonline.com. That is T-L-O-P-Online.com. Um, and speaking of events, JC and I are going to be at our first live event together as the Loan Officer Podcast. It's September 20th and September 21st. It's at the Palms uh, Hotel Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, the event is um, Mortgage Mastermind. It's mastermindsummit.com. Um, it's a Stephen Marshall event. JC and I are actually going to be speaking during a lunch session on the Tuesday of that event, I think we're going to fly in. I'm sorry, I said Tuesday, I meant Thursday. We're flying in Tuesday. We're flying out Friday. The event is Wednesday, Thursday. We're speaking at the Thursday lunch special. And I was able to get my friends Jungo, which is a CRM company. You are talking about CRM earlier. Jungo is a CRM company that my partners and I use with our mortgage operation. And Jungo um, so nicely agreed to sponsor the lunch. So everyone who comes and attends the town hall that JC and I are going to uh, uh, put on, they'll have lunch provided and lunch will be, will be provided by Jungo. So um, he's Brett Young. I'm Dustin Owen. He's with Urban Young. I'm with the Lunar Podcast. That's all the time we have for you today, but we will catch you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.